They don't come here to attack us because we're rich and we're free. They come and they, and they attack us because we're over there. We don't need to go populist left or populist right. We don't need to embrace neo-Marxism or neo-fascism, these disastrous movements from the 20th century. Turns out the answer is pretty much our Bill of Rights, our story. Embrace freedom. That's the answer. And if the LP has a purpose, it's not to put people to sleep. It's to wake them up. We're here because we love liberty. And we're here because we hate injustice. We are here to save mankind. We are here to fight. Join us, the Libertarian Party, in perhaps the most exciting, grandest endeavor in history, the restoration of American liberty. Ideas spread, they can't stop them. An idea whose time has come cannot be stopped by any army or any government. Right, uh, welcome to episode 77 of Decentralized Revolution, Libertarian Party Mises Caucus podcast. I'm Aaron Harris, I'm your host. But uh, the big news tonight is, uh, I don't know why I haven't had you on sooner, uh, but uh, Robbie I mean, 77 fire. episodes. I'm supposed to be the fucking king of this movement. I don't know why it took 77. <laughs> I should have been the first one to christen this as being an acceptable podcast. So I'm just going to say everything before this isn't canon. You know, like in comic books where there's canon right. or not canon. Prior to this moment, it's not canon. I don't care what was said. It's not sanctioned. <laughs> it's not official. From here on moving forward. You know, it, I, I'm, I'm sanctioning this and I want and I and I want sponsor dollars from whatever happened beforehand. You haven't tied. Well, the FEC probably uh, prohibits us from like giving you money. Uh, for some reason, we we're always filling out forms for them and all that. So we don't really have sponsors other than the pack. So uh, if we do so, I'll have to arrange something, you know, like Just a, buy me a horn, uh, maybe a. Or yeah, or maybe yeah. Just uh, I was gonna suggest maybe a clandestine handshake, and uh, out in Reno there might be something. Palm you uh, a couple twenties at least to get you started until we get a bigger check uh, set. So what, did the did the rabbi go long tonight, or or what? We're supposed to be on at ten thirty. Oh. We just did an epic episode. Uh, <laughs> I, we've never done a part of the problem like this. I don't know uh, what came over Davy Smith, but he decided to have Guy Swan and Clint on the same episode along with myself to discuss some of the uh, recent financial stuff. It's actually about a two and a half hour episode, and uh, we're going to put it out as two parts. And my God, was it good and fun. Every episode of Part of the Problem is good and fun. This one was just a little bit different than the way we normally do it, and it went long, but it was a, it was it was a fun time. So, yeah, I, that's one thing I was kind of curious about is I, I you're probably old enough to remember Ed McMahon. A lot of people maybe aren't, but you're kind of like the Ed McMahon of the libertarian movement. It, you know, if Dave is Johnny okay Carson, who's who's king of that. But like, uh, but <laughs> yeah, that that's nothing to be ashamed of, because like Ed was like he was an integral part of that thing. And in kind of the same way, like uh, Dave can get long winded. So when you're there to to, to interject and get him back on track. So, but what, what's it like with, uh, how'd you get to, how'd you meet Dave? How'd you get hooked up with him, uh, on POTP and, and what's that like? So people don't know this, but Dave's actually the one that gave me AIDS. I don't like to talk about that. <laughs> and I know you said it's a PG 13 show over here, so <laughs> I'm not going to get too into the details. I was actually friends with Lewis first and I kind of got traded to Dave. It was like a prison type deal for a corn muffin, but like I said, PG 13 show, we don't have to get into that. Uh, me and Dave both, uh, stand up comedians. Dave was doing, Dave has been doing it longer than I have. I met him 
at uh, the LOL Comedy Club, which uh, has the distinguished honor of being the worst club in New York City. <laughs> and I got to watch Dave get up every night in front of the worst crowds and just tell the most brilliant jokes about liberty. And uh, at the time, I was not nearly as informed as I am now. But watching him tell brilliant jokes may, definitely made me be like, I got to up my game and read a little bit. And one day, I thought I had Davey, the smarty pants beat. And this is when we really bonded. We were friends. Like, we hung out, we drank, we right. talked jokes. But, like, we didn't really talk politics all that much. And at one point, I thought I had, I was like, ah, I got this book I'm reading, Dave. And I thought I was going to show him. And it was uh, David Stockman's The Great Deformation. And Dave's like, yeah, I read that. And I was like, this <laughs> motherfucker. How has he already read this book? Uh, and then from there, we kind of bonded on the Liberty stuff a little bit more. That's a, that's a huge book, right? Like you said, Hey, I got to start reading and you, and you start with that one, right? At least start with anatomy of the state or something, <laughs> but you go straight to the. So the uh, way I found that one, it's interesting, but I used to read. And at the time, I mean, I'm I still drink. I'm hammered right now, but, uh, like I, I, I went through a stage of life where I was a pretty, you know, pretty legitimate drunk. I, I was committed to the cause. Uh, but on Sundays I used to read from the New York times, the Sunday review. Uh, which was like these random essays. I haven't read that in five, six, seven years. But I used to, every Sunday, I don't know why, I used to read that. That was like the only thing I read all week. And there was an article from David Stockman kind of talking about his book. And uh, very rarely do I read something where I was like, I always knew that to be true. I couldn't quite explain it, but I was like, that I knew to be true. And it was, uh, I mean, I might be misspe misspeaking right now, but it was basically just talking about the usage of currency I, in very loose terms, the usage of currency to help the global elite. Let's just let, let's just yeah. leave it in terms that loose. But as I'm reading it, I was just like, I've always kind of thought this and this makes sense. I was like, I have to go read that book. And it was probably not till two or three months later that I actually picked up the book. And mm -hmm. then I started reading it. And there's gigantic chunks of that book that I didn't quite absorb or understand. But I just wanted to read it start to finish. And some of some of the sections that were. I mean, I'll tell you, if you've never read that book, go read that book. I would say the two most interesting things in that book to me. Well, three. I'll give you three things, takeaways from that book that I understood that are fascinating. Number one, when it came to the economic bailout after the subprime mortgage crisis, he explains that that was 100% to benefit AIG and basically Goldman Sachs. And that when it came to the Main Street and the economy, uh, all of that stuff was insured. And we were sold a bill of goods. We were basically bailing out the important big banks. That's one. Two, he talks about, he's got a great chapter about uh, when, you know, they talk about the government's going to make these investments in green energy. And otherwise, he's got this incredible chapter about all the companies that Obama invested in. And while you had companies that made incredible strides in terms of inventing technologies that would actually be useful for not relying on fossil fuels, the ones that government invested in. It was someone just handing money to their rich friends. Uh, and then the third one is he describes with Ronald Reagan uh, how he came in there and, you know, they were going to fix up the United States budget. But they actually put all this money into, uh, you know, the war machine and just how catastrophic that has been for us uh, from a financial perspective. Yeah, there's there's so much uh, in there. But I think kind of the nugget is that it doesn't take that much thought to like, actually, if you like look at just about anything government does and just like peel back the top layer and you're just like, what? I mean, like you use the example of like currency to benefit the elites, like, you know, Ron Paul, I think said that, you know, foreign aid and stuff like this is what poor people in rich countries giving money to rich people in poor countries. And it doesn't take much analysis 
to put that together, but people are just so willing to like, I mean, the, you know, we've been talking a lot about the media on this podcast and on POTP and everybody lately. And it just really is goes to show you that if we had a media that were doing their job and like actually doing the things they say they're supposed to do, like, I think you guys played the clip from the white house correspondence dinner, uh, on on one of the POTPs recently, like there's like lots of this great rhetoric. And if journalists actually did that, so many more people would start connecting the dots. And so I think we libertarians are the ones that are just, you know, we're a little more ornery, we're a little more cynical, and we will do this for ourselves. And uh, so it doesn't surprise me being a comedian who is always you know, most comedians are analyzing everything, trying to come up with a take, like, why is that happening? I mean, it, it, it stands to reason that you would eventually do that with, uh, with stuff like the financial markets and stuff like that. Yeah. I also, I mean, I, I went to college, I got a finance degree. I didn't do anything with it, but, uh, I definitely, uh, I guess my financial acumen is definitely a, 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 a pedigree above your average person who might just pick up a newspaper and read it. Uh, well, we could we could tell that from your last name too. So yeah, there you go. It right. comes with uh, it comes with uh, when they snip your penis as a kid. <laughs> um. So did you? I think I heard you one time. Uh, you did a little bit of sales. Is that right? Oh, dude, I still work sales. You can't. Oh, you I'm still fucking do? Sa- oh, sorry, PG thirteen. No, no, that's I'm okay. A, I'm a sales machine. I'll sell you something right now. <laughs> By the end of this, you're gonna owe me money. Well, okay. T- show. Uh, tell us how. I think we libertarians sometimes do a bad job of selling our stuff, uh, our ideas, because I think we think that other people are as curious as us about things and right. concerned about, you know, being morally consistent and stuff like that. So like it, can you sell somebody something they don't really want or do they have to kind of want it to begin with? What can we be doing better? Uh, well, I think one of the traps that we fall into is that uh, we're really smart and so we're willing to explore the negative and kind of the extreme situations with people to explain how righteous our philosophy is. But when we do that, we're kind of playing their game. We don't do a good enough job of like kind of going on the tack and reframing the narrative and going kind of preaching to the positive. We're a little bit willing to like kind of sit back and answer questions of uh, like, well, what if someone wants to attack us with a nuclear bomb? And what if someone and we don't do a good enough job of going. I just think if we're not spending a billion dollars or whatever it is, I don't know how much we spend a year on our military, we'd be able to have a lot more money available for companies to go invest and we'd all have more money. And I don't think anyone's actually coming over here to kill us. So why are we going to, you know, empower the global elite to go kill people over there when, you know, I think we could live in a better world that we don't do it. So here's what we don't do enough of is kind of reframing uh, just the forces of good that could come from if people listen to us. Mm-hmm. And, and and then that's where we're honestly coming from is that we believe, I, I mean, this is true. We believe we have a more moral philosophy. And then if you left things to kind of just let's protect private property, if we had that system where people are private, uh, then every financial tra- transaction is built around the fact that you have to provide something of value. And within that framework, we're talking about the harmonious, uh, contributions of mankind working together with trade so that they can all have what they want. We're, we're talking about a beautiful philosophy. I find that a little bit too often because we're as smart as we are, we're willing to sit back and go, sure, I'll field your questions, whatever questions you have. 
but we don't do a good enough job of uh, like hopping onto the positive and going bigger picture. Here's the forces of good of what I'm describing. Yeah. Uh, so I think uh, I think that's it. What you were talking about, though, with like selling people like uh, I, I mean, it was in that book, that movie, Wolf of Wall Street. Yep. Uh, and I actually think one of the best sales books I've read a lot of sales books. I'm telling you uh, that guy, Jordan Belfort, his book, uh, I think it might be called Way of the Wolf. I, I, I like I firstly, I think if you know nothing about sales, you don't realize how brilliant that sales book is. Uh, that is a brilliant sales book. And he's got that scene in that movie with like, sell me a pen. And he talks about like, and he talks about people who come into, oh, this pen is beautiful. It does this. It does that. Blah, blah, blah. Well, part of what you want to do in sales, you want to qualify a lead, which is what that exercise is about. I know this is technical terms. You want to find out if someone needs a pen. And right. so the idea is to ask questions to see if you can figure out if there's a need. If there's no need, I have no interest in selling somebody something that they don't need. Right. I have no interest in that. Doesn't benefit me. It doesn't benefit them. I, I will define a good lead for you. You know what a good lead is? It's someone who can afford your service and will benefit from your service. That's right. it. You want to learn that very simple. If they can afford your service and they can benefit from your service, if they can afford and they don't benefit. That's not a good lead. They can benefit from it, but they're fucking broke. That's not a good lead either. Yep. So it's a good idea to find out. Like, I, I mean, you want to tell, sell people on Liberty. Here's the starting point. You ready? Mr. Aaron, yep. you've never heard of this libertarian thing. Cool. What, what's your, what's your current political philosophy? Um, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I just think that, uh, uh, Trump is kind of right with the, I'm playing a role here, but sure. Uh, you know, America was better 30 years ago and I think we should go back to that. And, and, uh, cool. what do you think, what do you think made it better? What was better 30 years ago that you'd like to see now? Um, I don't know. I just feel like, uh, maybe back then that the government and the media and all that weren't, uh, so hostile toward like normal folks back then. So you feel like it's a climate where, particularly speaking, the media and government are hostile to people. What, 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 what specifically do you think is the threat? What do you think is like, what do you think the media is doing that you feel uncomfortable with that? Like they're coming after you. What don't you like? Well, I think they, they push again, role playing, but I, I think they push uh, a lot of the cultural stuff, the leftist stuff. Uh, in schools, you can't watch a commercial these days without, uh, uh, you know, there, there's little these little messages and everything. And basically they're telling people that, you know, people are just kind of conservative and religious, that that's backward and you shouldn't be that way. And, you know, that colleges and so are turning kids ask, against all that. Yeah, I got to ask, is that the most important issue to you? If someone were to solve that, would you go, I love that guy? Like, is that the most important thing to you that you feel like media is preaching you stuff that you don't like like is that is that your most important thing well it was in the 2016 election okay yeah. and and so coming up do you do you kind of already have an idea of who you'd like to vote for you're kind of open to whoever you think might solve this problem for you well i mean i think it's got to be somebody who will if it's not trump to do what he was doing like he's at least he's willing to stand up to those people I agree with you a hundred percent. I think it's a huge problem that media is going to lie to you and they're going to belittle you. And so I want to tell you about this other guy who I think is really going to solve your problem. There you go. That's the sales pitch. I'm trying to fight. I'm telling you, that's the sales. Yeah. Pitch. I got this guy. His name is Dave Smith. Yeah. And you know, what's great about truth is that if you create a free market, everyone's going to turn on the network. That's not lying to you. Here's what the media lied to you about. They lied to you about yeah. Russia collusion. They lied to you about that. How did they get away with that? Yeah. Well, because no one was allowed to bring it. We're going to create a free market for truth. 
We're going to let everyone have an opinion. And I promise you, you're never going to feel bad because the they're because they're talking bullshit at you again. The sales yeah. tactic is ask people's questions, find out what's important to them. Now, if someone yeah. were to tell me the most important thing in the world is that I can have an abortion and that my child I uh, can I uh, can be uh, the government's going to pay for gender reassignment surgery when they're age seven. So, you know what? That's not a good lead. Then I go. Yeah. All right, cool. You know what? I believe in freedom and that everyone should have their opinion. That's not the priority of what we're working on right now. And, you know, I I hope you get the representation you look for. I can promise you that if we were to run the show, we would not interrupt your freedoms to pursue those interests. You know what I mean? But like you can qualify. That's not a good leader. If someone's talking to you and they go, the most important thing in the world to me is I want to go invade Iraq tomorrow. That guy's not a good lead. But there's probably a lot of people like you or your fictional example that would mention some things as being their top priority. And so then you go, okay, here's, here's how I can solve this better than the other people. Yeah. I, I think that's what we tend to do a lot is to uh, people think they know something about libertarianism. They hear you're that then, you know, they come out with the, Hey, what about the roads or this or that? And we get tripped up on, you know, no, we're too so- smart. Yeah. We got the smart ass problem. We try and right. go taxation is theft. And right. so we, we want to be inflammatory because we're like, go ahead, argue with me because I'm right. I got the most brilliant philosophy and I'll debate with you. And uh, I have a friend who is the, the smartest person I've met in my life. And uh, uh, he was like that. He'd like walk, he would like to walk into a room to give you context on how smart this kid was. He got into Georgetown Law with a full scholarship without ever setting foot in a college. Scored that mm-hmm. eye in his LSATs, never went to college, got a full scholarship. That's how smart. We're talking about a very uniquely bright individual not the most likable individual because he loved walking into a room and stating something inflammatory because he knew if anyone took the bait and debated him, he was going to make you feel shitty because he was tears more intelligent than you. And that was his thing. That's not the way to win people over. And and so we fall into that trap a little bit. We're like, we know that we're right. And, and, and sometimes it can be a little bit catchy. It's a little bit of like the more of the sales philosophy of if they're crying, they're buying. It was like uh, the way Patrice O'Neill said he liked to win over chicks where he'd walk up to some chick and just be like, Hey, you got, you got stinky breath and he'd get them emotional and try and win them over. So I'm not saying it's not, there isn't like some sort of a sales tactic there. Cause you're engaging people, you're grabbing their interest. And then maybe like you're working back. Yeah. Uh, but I do think that that's a, uh, I, I, I don't think it's the necessarily the winning strategy. And I do think that because we're smart, we try and win people over in that way, but that's not necessarily likable or persuasive. Yeah. And I think, uh, you know, you look at the Jonathan Heights righteous mind argument is that, you know, people kind of based on, you know, genetics, their family upbringing, you know, their culture, uh, personality, people kind of have their own moral framework and they reason backwards to fit into that. And so we libertarians are very concerned with, with justice, the righteousness of things and a being like, consistent ideologically and other people don't care about that as much. And so you have to find out what they care about and then show them how the state messes that up. And with just about everything you can, you can't do that. I mean, unless again, you come up on somebody who is, you know, like a complete authoritarian socialist and, you know, they know, you know, very, but very rarely do you meet someone who's that ideologically, you know, uh, uh, authoritarian and who has like, 
you know, knows all the philosophy and stuff like that. Most people have a little bit of practicality. They know in, you know, it, it's like uh, everybody likes the cops until they have to like deal with the cops. And then hmm. they realize that the cops are the cops. And it's kind of the same way with government. Everybody's got something that they know the government doesn't do very well. And if you are, if you get them talking about that, and, and that's another thing about persuasion is getting them to think so they arrive at the conclusion themselves very you know almost never think of how many times you know we are you know everybody think individually how many times has someone just like just beat you over the head with logic and change your mind like it usually doesn't happen that way but with by the way with all that being said uh i felt very passionately that the vaccines were not a great investment to put in soft terms Right. I didn't convince any of my, my relatives not to get them. Not one, yep. Yep. you know, I, my younger sister, I once tried like turning her on to the fed. I haven't convinced her in any capacity. So I, uh, I do think we fall into sometimes people have so much contrarian information that they just assume like you must be wrong or you must be insane. Yeah. I will say though, that sometimes over time, the stories change and they look back and they're like, Oh, that guy was right about a whole bunch of stuff. Yeah. Maybe I should go hear him out. Uh, but it's, uh, like I said, the best way to do it is to find out people's concerns yeah. and let them know how this better addresses those concerns. If you have the patience to do so, uh, with all that being said, you know, I, I, I guess I'm on one of the bigger platforms when it comes, especially to preaching the Liberty message. Yeah. And, uh, I actually find it, I find myself amused in real life when people actually pick a debate with me and discover, Oh, I was the wrong person to have a conversation. Cause while I'm very mellow, I guess if we get into a war of ideas, I can be a little vicious and yeah. I can, I can turn into a bit of an Alex Jones type character. And I yeah. laugh because that's like not who I am as a person. I'm like, I've done more talk radio at this point than anybody. Yeah. So like, sure, I will debate you, but all I'm saying is, while I can give you, I, I can express to you guys the tools as a person who studied sales, uh, the actual implementation of that strategy is not necessarily that easy. Yeah. And, and each situation is different. Um, let's talk about like uh, POTP is such a big uh, platform. Yeah. So like, what is where, how are people finding you? Uh, what, and what do they, how do they first engage with Dave and with you on the podcast? Uh, and specifically, I kind of wanted to ask about, you know, Dave has talked a lot about um, kind of his disappointment with how the, uh, you know, when Ron Paul kind of, uh, you know, semi-retired uh, after the 2012, you know, presidential campaign, he, you know, didn't run for re-election to Congress. And a lot of that energy, and I think Dave's right, a lot of that energy kind of in in that 2013 to 2015 timeframe kind of I don't know if it was the same people, but the alt-right kind of, you know, became a thing. What, you know, we can still argue about what that is, but um, that kind of became the main sort of, there was a lot of energy in that space and not so much in the libertarian space. And so fast forward to, you know, four years ago when Mike uh, started the Mises Caucus, one of the first criticisms was that oh we're a, a libertarian to alt-right pipeline but if anything i gotta i, I just it, it's I, the it's it's the exact opposite to me but i gotta combat this okay uh, so, i want to i want to get your take yeah no i'll combat so for one i'm not I, i'll just be honest 
I hear Dave, I hear a lot of people talk about how big of an inspiration Ron Paul was. God bless. When I go back and I watch clips now, he's got a handle on everything. He's wonderful. Wasn't my guy. That's not why I ended up here. He's not one of my heroes. I'm not bad. I want to be clear. I'm not bashing Ron Paul. Ron right. Paul is fucking awesome. It's just whatever you guys experienced emotionally, your connection to him. I wasn't around for that. Right. On the same note, just here, I, I, just to give a little context here. I grew up very Orthodox Jewish. I used to wear a kippah. And so like when people started having like this white guilt thing and it was like this emotional thing in their brains, it just wasn't me because I felt like an outsider. People yeah. might not look at me and say, oh, that's like a cultural minority and outsider. I'm telling you my personal experience of the way I felt embarrassed wearing a yarmulke in public and the way that I experienced reality. I was the outsider. So when people started talking about white guilt, I was like, I'm not white. I'm not American. Like, I don't know what you're describing. That's not me. So like the emotional attachments that you guys are describing, I'm not saying it's not yeah. true. It, it wasn't my experience. What the fuck is this alt-right thing? How big is the alt-right? How many yeah. people are we talking about? There's no fucking momentum. There's no movement. Now, I, 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 the, the one time I kind of understood, I guess, the momentum that the Ron Paul thing had that I didn't experience was in the early years of Porkfest. They talked about, like, the first time me and Dave did Porkfest, they said this thing used to be totally sold out because there was the moments of Ron Paul. And the first time we did it, it wasn't totally sold out. Guess what? The last two times we did it, it was fucking sold out. So I, 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 I like, listen, I wasn't around for the Ron Paul thing. So I don't know the emotional charge that you guys got from watching that guy be brilliant and share his ideas. Uh, but I contest the idea that the alt-right ever had some incredible moment. I think that that was just, uh, you know, CNN looking for an excuse yeah. for combating some enemy in danger that didn't exist. And uh, I can tell you from being involved with this for a couple of years now, uh, to be able to show up to places, have people show up and be fucking meekhawks through and through, thrilled to see us. I, yeah. I feel like there's a, a vibrancy momentum here uh, that did not exist when I started on part of the problem. And I know the way it's part of the problem has grown over the last five years. Uh, so I just, uh, I, I, nice guy. You and I just met, just met meekhawks through and through. Yeah. I can test this idea that the alt-right ever really had some big momentum. And I also think that what we're doing now uh, is pretty incredible. Yeah. And uh, as great as the Ron Paul thing probably was, and as many people as it turned on, let's look to the fucking future. Let's look yeah. at the momentum we're building. And I really think we're building something here. Well, and, and I, I think we are too. I think we are too. And I guess my question uh, where I was kind of headed with that was the people who are coming into this, like I, I, I've been a libertarian for more than 25. I'm old. And so I, I was a libertarian when I was like 17, when I read Rothbard in 1994. Yeah, you were a fucking smart, nerdy kid, dude. Yeah, I was. Yeah, I I, I grew up watching. I was a nerd. I watched the uh, ABC evening news with Peter Jennings every day. And uh, back then I was kind of a Reagan kid. Okay. And I, I, I knew the media was kind of like, you know, obviously biased against Reagan. And then oddly enough, I, Rush Limbaugh turned me into a libertarian because he nice. would have he would have Walter Williams guest host. And I was like, oh, I like Rush. But then Walter Williams comes in there throwing heat, man. And I, I started reading his column and Thomas Sowell and then Rothbard. And here I am almost 30 years later. Um, so I, I, I'm with you kind of like I was I was kind of a libertarian long before the Ron the Ron Paul thing. But where are the people coming from? I think it, dude, now? it's the, I, 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 all right. It's the ideas. I didn't yep. know libertarianism existed 
until I found Doug Stanhope, one of the, the, the most brilliant comic of all time. And he's talking about this Liberty thing. And I'm like, oh, what's this? And they're like, oh, you know what? That kind of better expresses my views. I really don't like debt. I really like freedom. Really yep. like drugs. You know, I, I really don't like, like, you just start real, like, because uh, I was never really a Republican. I was never really a Democrat. I was more of what they call like New York Democrats, which kind of like fis fiscally conservative and socially liberal. At least yeah. that was the like old Trump, right? Like Trump was, back in the day. I guess <laughs> that was the old New York Democrats. Now it's a now it's a whole different world. But it's the ideas. A lot of people hear these ideas and like I didn't even realize that this, you know, that this was a thing with that with that. So just two two things. One is the biggest driver for part of the problem listeners uh, is Dave. It's Legion of Skanks. It's when he gets on Rogan. It's when he gets on these other podcasts, people listening to him and they go, oh, these are the best ideas I've heard yet. And then they start listening to the show. And I find one of the biggest services that we do for people is that sometimes people thought that they were a little bit crazy. And then mm -hmm. they're listening to us and they're like, oh, that's what I was thinking. And yeah. then they realize they weren't as crazy. Uh, you know, and we've gotten a lot of things right. We've gotten the COVID story right. We got the Russia collusion story right. And just there's a lot of things that have been yelled at people that we were like, eh, that doesn't sound right. And we turned out, you know, we, we yeah. our analysis was accurate. So that, that, that's a, um, that's a big driving force is just, uh, that Dave's really good at getting onto big platforms, being so articulate and people realizing like, oh, there's this other thing. I yeah. also think that there's a lot of Republicans and Democrats out there that if they just heard our ideas, they don't realize it, but they're actually libertarians. Now, I think there's probably more people that are Republicans that are actually libertarians. The reason that they will stand with the Republicans is just because they're like, I hate the Democrats so much. Yep. I want to be on a winning team. And just what they're doing is so rotten. Like, like I like I agree with you. I'm a libertarian, but like you guys aren't going to win. So I, like what they're doing so evil, I got to be a Republican. Yeah. But if we can get more people to realize, well, you're really a libertarian and kind of grow the thing, I like that wheel can kind of turn. Well, I think the wheel really has turned uh, in my lifetime a lot uh, uh, from, you know, in the 80s, it was, you know, the the left tended to be, uh, you know, really bad on economics, but they were sort of kind of anti-war. They were good on civil liberties. Uh, and, and things like that. Whereas the right was a little more conservative on this. And they were front. pro you putting your penis in other people's butts. They that, were dudes. Yeah, the, you know? yeah. the I'm Democrat, all about that shit. The Democrats were. Oh, I'm sorry. In the you vanguard said, of you that. PG 13. <laughs> yeah, I can't be PG 13 when I've been drinking on 11. Yeah, I should have. I should have known. That's okay. But uh, uh, but I think the wheel kind of has turned from liberal to conservative to it is shifting to authoritarian libertarian. And I, I think that's what I think you're right, that a lot of people do look at the left and, you know, look at where they've been on free speech and, you know, basically every civil liberties issue other than abortion, they are hardcore individual rights don't matter, you know, uh, like with all the COVID stuff that just like flushed a lot of them out that they, they dangerous. Yeah, it, it's exactly it. And so I think that as the GOP's sort of boomer constituency dies off that a lot of people who have that sort of emotional tie to the to the republicans they still look at it as you know barry goldwater and ronald reagan like that's going to go too and so i think we're going to end i mean it may the two parties may, i'm 46 
Dude, I don't even know the name Barry Goldwater. Ronald Reagan <laughs> means shit to me. So I'm just saying, like, as the population ages, like this, sh- yeah. the, what you're describing, which is like what I'm, what I was saying with the Ron Paul thing, it's all beautiful and it's a part of your reality. Yeah. But there's a lot of people out there that these that this means nothing to them. Right. And the new reality is that the the media landscape isn't. Again, when I was a kid, it was three three channels plus PBS. There was no talk radio. There was you it's know going new- to the woods for porn. <laughs> that's uh yeah that that is uh that's the eighties for you. But like now with podcasts and social media, you know things like POTP are able to flourish. And so what? I mean that must be pretty exciting to be in that space, knowing that you guys are are killing. Like you guys are nipping at the heels of uh, CNN and, and probably compared to some shows, it's maybe a lot closer than that. Right. I mean, the, the momentum is all toward decentralization of the media and of news sources uh, as well. Am I right on that? Uh, you're hundred percent right. It's uh, it's interesting and it's ridiculous at the same time. Yeah. Uh, I'm a, I'm a filthy comedian. Uh, it, it's weird to me. Uh, that anyone knows me in a serious capacity whatsoever. Uh, but then I can also acknowledge that uh, for the most part, I've been right on a lot of things and I'm pretty good at pointing out that everyone else is lying to you. Uh, and on top of that, I take the job seriously. I do my homework. I try and give people, uh, you know, the, 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 the best analysis that I can. Uh, and with all that being said, I, I hope we uh, continue to pick up more and more market share and that I can uh, sell more company tickets on the road. And you can stop your yeah you you don't have to be in sales anymore and just do comedy and uh, podcasting. That's right? uh, I'm pretty close to that, and that's uh, <laughs> certainly what I'm trying to do. Well, yeah, that if you would have told me 20 years ago that like the biggest media personality in America would and you know would be Joe Rogan, I'd be like yeah, who the dude on the, that? The, like the eighth banana yeah. on news radio, right? Like <laughs> it's just a it's pretty uh, amazing. So what I, I want to get into what it must have been like being a comedian through COVID. And did that like, I, it seems like a lot of, again, the higher profile comedians were not good uh, on COVID. And that seems to me to go against everything it's, it is uh, to be a comedian. It's uh, incredibly strange to me. If you're listening to this and you haven't already watched it, uh, go check out the misinformation spectacular. I probably did 20 minutes of Corona jokes alone, uh, but it's very strange to me that the uh, the world of comedy in my head. And this is once again, you can just be totally wrong. You can hold on to an idea, some romantic idea and just be 100 percent wrong. But to me, we're supposed to be punk punk rock skeptics, even yeah. though I'm not a big George Carlin guy like that to me is kind of the paradigm of like. Yeah. Who just goes, oh, the government said so. It's like, imagine the same crew of people being like, oh, yeah, we got to go fight in Vietnam. If you don't say that we got to go fight in Vietnam, like, oh, my God, you're what are you against our country? Do you want us to be taken over by communists? It's like, how the fuck did comedians, the people are supposed to poke fun at shit and like see through bullshit, just take this one hook, line and sinker and like it's also the the most American thing in the world is doesn't fucking matter. We're going to work. We're America. We're going to work. So uh, it amazes me uh, that that I would have thought that it was not a function of my brilliance or originality that I had the opinions or perspective that I did on work, on comedy or on COVID. Uh, However, 
I do think that the, it's interesting in a way, and I hope I get to profit off it handsomely at some juncture in time. Yeah. Uh, but the fact that a person as uninteresting and uncool as me can be a rebel within the society, that I don't have to be physically violent, I don't have to look particularly cool, I, I don't have to do anything other than have this unbelievable opinion right. that uh, you shouldn't have to take an unexperimental vaccine yeah. and that you shouldn't have to listen to government on censorship. So in a way, it's interesting that uh, how easy they've made it to be a rebel, you know? So in that way, it's kind of cool. Are most comedians like, do you see a trend within professional semi-successful to successful comedians? Are they, are the good ones still good? Uh, by being that sort of contrarian voice or are there a lot of people who are who are not doing that but can you still be funny and not challenge stuff like what's what's so. actually going think, on in no, the clubs I, no i do i i, I do think so because for example i think uh like i i think uh andy kaufman was incredibly funny right, right? or like i think mitch hedberg was incredibly funny i uh, so like to me when it comes to stand-up comedy like Funny is funny, and I like people that do things that are just silly, that have zero opinions. Like, I, I have a lot of material that's about fucking absolute nonsense. Like, so to me, however, with that being said, it's like if Mitch Hedberg goes on stage and he kills with his jokes, uh, and there's a marketplace for that, there's something to it. Yep. But then, like, if a Louis C.K. goes up and he tells some joke that kind of exposes a, like, uh, some gives you a little bit of an insight into your human condition, into depression. Or if yeah. a Doug Stanhope goes up and he tells you some joke about marriage and why does government have anything to do with marriage? Or even this is the best example. I didn't agree with this bit whatsoever, but Jim Jeffries had a brilliant bit about gun control. So mm -hmm. to me, the highest, the highest art form in comedy is when you're able to uh, give people an insight on the human condition, uh, you know, make us feel a little bit uh, less, uh, less shitty for our own frailties or some sort of criticism of government. Uh, but then again, I love addict. I tell a lot yeah. of addict and fart jokes. You know what I mean? There's a lot of people that are just funny and God bless that too. Uh, so so, to, so, so to, just to go back to your point, uh, I go to the comedy clubs and there's plenty of people that are funny that have opinions about absolutely nothing. Yeah. And uh, God bless it. Well, no, I like that. I mean, that's good too. Every, everybody, you know, Jerry Seinfeld's another one that he's not political, uh, who I like his stuff, Mitch Hedberg, though. He's man, that guy's he's in my top five all time, I think. Um, yeah, who's but, the top so five? I, I, uh, well, I my man Dave Chappelle, who lives right. in the town next to me. Oh, that's uh, cool. Where I'm from back in Ohio, I'm, I'm in Tennessee now. Um, I don't know, Carlin would be up there, Rodney. Um, uh, Trying to think maybe the other. Oh, oh, Norm McDonald. Norm McDonald. Love Norm. Yeah, he's the best. I'm really looking forward. Apparently, we got a second I, special coming out, which is unbelievable. I know that is amazing. I hope uh I, I heard him, he told a joke a joke got out there. Um, somebody tweeted it. I don't know if maybe he if I saw a clip of it, but basically somebody was like, uh uh someone said, uh he I think he was talking about oh, so and so lost their battle with cancer today. And like, I think the joke was, Hey, I'm pretty sure it was a tie <laughs> because like when I died, the, the cancer, cancer dies. Yeah. yeah. Great joke. <laughs> but like, I, I, I hope, uh, I would love to, I hope, uh, cause yeah, that, that one hit me kind of hard and to hear him like talk about his death, uh, should be hilarious in a therapeutic way. But like, so I think you definitely can be non 
sort of apolitical, non-political and be funny. And you can be sort of, you can be anti-authority and be funny, but can you like, I, I never click on these things because I don't want them to pop up more in my YouTube feed, but like YouTube, like no matter, I never click on them, but they still show Colbert, Kimmel, the other guy. What, well, Fowler. those guys aren't, uh, I'll just venture to guess for the most part, those guys aren't even doing comedy anymore. They're fucking propaganda. I'm sorry. Right, no, I, My I, bad. Agree, I agree, they're, but like, they're, they're I, not even doing comedy. Like, right. so yes, your, your cable news or whatever you're seeing on TV at this point, it's all gone the way of, uh, ESG scores, socialism. We yeah. got to push a certain agenda, not offense, whatever. Uh, but there's plenty of people, you know, still showing up to comedy clubs, telling funny jokes. Well, that was my question. If, 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 uh, Jimmy Kimmel went and did his normal monologue, no, no. like would in a real work. comedy club, what, nope. what would happen? Mm. So it depends on if he took the exact monologue he was doing on the tonight show, went to a comedy club and did it mm -hmm. depends. How many minutes is a typical monologue? It's usually like 10, right? I mean, so it would work for three or four because right. people would be, would be excited to see Jimmy Kimmel. Right. Um, it, it kind of depends on the market. Like it could be like a hot, I haven't been to the comedy store in a long time, but it could be in a really hot club. Like maybe they're so liberal and into seeing those people that they would mm -hmm. be on board. But I, I like, I look at the texture of a lot of those jokes and they're just not like jokes. Like they're yep. like, they're just, they're just not good. Uh, so I would venture to guess that you get a little bit of like, oh, cool. It's this guy. Oh, cool. He's telling an opinion similar to mine. And then you get to a point. It's like it, it's somewhere the, like they're just not jokes and then yeah. it doesn't work. Yeah. You get the sort of polite laughs and the polite applause and hey, we're all on the same team, but you don't get somebody doubled over in laughter no. crying and yeah yeah no they're, so, so, they're just not good jokes like i can i i mean we could uh you could probably go look right now and pull up like lines from their monologue last night right and by the way sometimes uh um i, I like reading the week daily briefing mm -hmm. i haven't read it for the last two weeks but sometimes i also read the new york times morning newsletter mm -hmm. uh and i like to i i don't have the patience to watch their monologues uh sometimes i do read their jokes <laughs> And I'm curious because every once in a while I go, oh, yeah, that was a good joke. Yep. But for the most part, they're not good. And I know a good joke. Yep. Uh, but, and for the most part, they're not good. But like sometimes like I'll be like, oh, shit, that was actually a good one. Yep. one that right now, it's an interesting if you go to the do you, you have access to the New York Times? Uh, no, I don't. I mean, I, I don't know if they, they'll let me read an article or two before they put the paywall up or not. But I can check. What do you want me to look up? Ariel, let me, I'll pull up last night's monologue. We can sure. read through it and we can literally just like <laughs> evaluate it joke by joke. You ready? Yeah. Give me a second. Give me a second here. If I can, if I can pull it up. Yeah. I just can't get uh, out of my mind. The, uh, somebody played the clip on their Twitter feed of, uh, uh, Stephen Colbert and the dancing, uh, the, uh, Oh yeah. Uh, and now it, turn, it turns That's, out, um, uh, all right. So yesterday, today's May 13th, right? Okay, here we go. I got this in front of me. Um, all right, let's start with... This looks like this is Kimmel from last night. You ready? Yeah. And so they just they edit it down to the best jokes. I'm going to read them. Here's <laughs> These the are first the best one. ones. Okay. All right. King Jong-un declared a maximum emergency in North Korea on Thursday as the country reported its first outbreak of the coronavirus. According to their director of the National Institute of Infectious Disease, Dr. Dennis Rodman... 
the virus, which ne- which until now have been undetected as appeared, Jimmy Kimmel said on Thursday. All right. So the fact that they're saying that the doctor is Dennis Rodman, it's not the worst joke. It's very right. wordy. Yeah, so if I he just started that's... off as uh, King Jun-in declared a max, like even the maximum emergency is unnecessary. So it would just be yep. King. Uh, uh, here's how you fix this joke. You ready? Yep. I, I'm drunk. So you can tell me if this is boring. King Jun-in declared uh, the first outbreak of the coronavirus. And you can trust it because it was evaluated by Dr. Dennis Rodman. It's right. not a great joke, but it, there's something silly that he's the doctor. All right, let's continue. This is yeah. Seth Myers now. North Korea reported its first coronavirus outbreak today and ordered all cities and countries to enter a lockdown, or as they call it, business as usual. That's a pretty good joke. That's fine. Like I would tell you, like I'm not I'm not a fan of the show. That that's a pretty right. good joke. That's not bad. Uh how did COVID even get into North Korea? Did Kid Rock play Pyongyang and not tell us about it? That's not a good joke. That was Jimmy Kimmel. All right. You ready? Can we do more of these? Yeah, go ahead. All right. Uh, while speak- This is Seth Meyers now. While speaking yesterday to thousands of union electrical workers, President Biden referred to former, pre- former President Trump as, quote, the great MAGA king. Okay. Can we please not give him any more ideas? Not a good joke. Right. Congratulations, Joe. You've selected the one nickname that Trump will gladly use. I mean, I guarantee Trump already has that monogrammed on towels. Yeah. Eh, I'd give I give that like a two on the joke scale. It's not terrible. All right. Uh, foolish move for Biden trying to play the nickname game with Trump. With Trump, you can't do that. The guy, <laughs> the guy is a terrible president, but he's in the Hall of Fame when it comes to nicknames. Right, Sleepy Joe? That's a terrible joke. President Biden criticized Republicans at a fundraiser last night for the recent attacks at Disney and said, quote, they're going to storm Cinderella's castle, be- Cinderella's castle before this is over. Oh, buddy, I hate to tell you, if they're storming anything, it's the Hall of Presidents. Not a good joke. Yeah, but, all right. So, by the way, we're we're point five out of five jokes, and this is the best. They're not even telling us all the jokes. They've selected right. the best jokes. And yeah. of the ones that we've read, the only one that was actually a joke was the North Korea business as usual, which is funny. It's not great, yeah. but it's funny. All right, you ready? We're continuing yeah. to the bottom. I'm committed here. No, I'm going with it. All right, there's three more. Yep. But today, Biden was back in Washington where he hosted a co uh, where he hosted a co-hosted a virtual COVID summit. The fact that the summit was held virtually pretty much tells you how we're doing in the fight against COVID. Eh, it's okay. It's not. It's not great. It's okay. At least there's a joke there. Like that's yeah. a joke. The other ones, like they're not even jokes. Uh, the U.S. co-hosted a summit with Germany, Indonesia, Senegal, and Belize. Good. All the heavy hitters are in on this. It's a weak joke. At least that's a joke, but that's like a weak, sarcastic joke. Continuing another one from Jimmy Fallon. But Biden is serious about tackling the pandemic. That's why today he announced that the new head of this COVID task force, Patty Lapoon. Uh, I mean, what a third grader write that joke. I mean, like that's that's like embarrassingly bad. Right. I don't even know who Patty Lapoon is. Is that a character? From, like, I think Looney she's Tunes? like a. I think she's like a broad, an old Broadway lady. So oh, like, he, she was the one. Oh, you, here's here's what they did. They did a double affiliation because the New York Post wrote an art wrote an article about her that she was yelling at an audience for not wearing masks. Oh. So they're just doing they're just doing a double affiliation of. Uh, that, that's like that's boring writing. Okay, well, here's the last also, one in the it's day. A pretty narrow uh, uh, field of people who are yeah, going to get who the fuck that, is right? going to get Patty Lapoon? Yeah. All right. I, I thought they were talking about Patty Lapew. All right. Last joke of the day from Seth Myers. President Biden today called for uh, Ferdinand Marcos Jr. to congratulate him on winning the Philippine presidential election. Said Biden. Remember, winning is the easy part. The hard part is convincing everybody that you actually won. It's not the worst joke. That's okay. It's yeah. not, I mean, it's not great. It's, it's, it's okay. 
But still, it's like so many of those things, like they have a baked in thing that only people, they're they're designed to appeal to people who agree with kind of the the basic sort of left-wing Borg group thing, thing, right? Uh, It seems like that's the audience they're that that's the people that, you know, I think with, with comedy, you have to assume like a shared body of knowledge, right? Like if you went to Australia, like you, you, there's certain things that, that you would be able to kill with here in America that they're just not going to get. And so I think that the, the jokes that you tell say, so, just like when you watch a TV show, the commercials that you see tell you something about the people who are watching the show, I mean, I think it's the same thing. Your jokes encoded in that is what you think the audience is going to know. And all of those jokes tell me that they're aimed at people who listen to NPR and and, uh, uh, read the New York Times and watch only these shows and don't listen to Rogan or, you know, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, they're fucking lame. Yeah, (laughs) that's okay. Um, So has what's it been like? getting back out on the road it must have been horrible to not be able to do that but like is it better than ever are there is it is it weird like what are audiences I don't know. like dude i don't know what the hell i'm doing i uh <laughs> I, I i honestly don't i've been doing comedy a while and uh i'm trying to retool because in new york city it feels like when i'm running some of the the jokes that i prefer uh which are dark and they're not the perspective that they want to hear I, I used to take the perspective of like, I want to polish my stuff to a tease so that when I get in front of my crowd, so it's like, I don't care if the New York crowd doesn't like it. Yeah. Uh, but now I'm noticing I need the stage time a little more. So I'm trying to run uh, material that might be a little bit more appropriate for New York city club audiences and just yeah. doing my, so I'm new comedy 11 years. Uh, you know, uh, sadly I I'm still not in at clubs that I'm able to get up every night, but luckily because of the podcast, I'm able to kind of put on my own shows. So yeah. I'm doing some reports tour at the moment uh, and showing up. I did the first one in Lady Lake, Florida. I think I did about 45 minutes, went over great. Uh, yeah. So uh, the answer is even though we're now, I never cared about Corona and we're a year past it. It's definitely still affected yeah. uh, my comedy trajectory and still in, in terms of getting up like on an, uh, on a regular basis in New York city. Uh, but on the same note, you know, it's cool with the podcast. I'm able to get out there, put together my own shows and people show up. So I don't, I don't quite have a perfect strategy for comedy, yeah. but that's what makes it fun. You never, yeah. it, it, it never stops being difficult, you know? Dude. Do different clubs in New York have like different personalities? Uh, different it, things work. No, or... it's the same. It, it's the same club on a different night. You know, okay. one one night people are like really on board, and like you can kind of go weirder or darker. And then other nights, you know, the people in front of you kind of ate shit. Crowd's not into the show, and you gotta yeah. you gotta be really likable and have really working material. Or you're gonna fucking eat your dick. Excuse <laughs> me, I, I'm so sorry. I, you told me very clearly. So, all I said, thirteen. <laughs> so I, t- I, t- I texted uh, uh, Robbie before, and I always tell people like I've had. Yeah, but you did tell on. me like you did tell me five minutes before and after yeah. I already agreed to do it. So yeah, talk about I, sales. Yeah. After I already said yes, you're like, and by the way, we keep it PG thirteen. Yeah, yeah. I said I like to keep it, but we can kind of right. push it a little bit given who we're talking to. <laughs> but uh, this so so when I put it out on the podcast feed, so I can warn people if they have kids. But yeah, tell them at ten thirty on Friday mouth. night, it's a it's okay. Um, so what uh, uh, what are who who are your favorite comedians? Uh, maybe some from all time and 
uh, who are working now. I need to, uh, I need to dial up some comedy this weekend. All time favorite is Doug Stanhope. Uh, yep. If uh, you've never listened to him, I recommend is the best starting point. Uh, no refunds uh, specifically for uh, libertarians out there. I think he even has a joke. Uh, you can just Google this in black and light, but I think Doug Stanhope Liberty, he's got a 20 minute bit there specifically on Liberty, which uh, has some incredible ideas in it. Uh, after that, Louis C.K. would come in number two. Number three spot's going to be Dred- Greg Giraldo. Uh, number four spot's going to be Norm MacDonald. And uh, number five spot is a little bit more contested, but uh, the characters that would be fighting for that spot would be uh, Nick DiPaolo, David Tell, and Patrice O'Neill. Yeah, yeah, that guy was great. Um, I always get Greg Geraldo and Nick DiPaolo mixed up. Yeah, well, they were both reason. they were both on Tough Crowd. Uh, amazing joke writers, brilliant comedians. So uh, I could uh, I could somehow see why you know someone might get to get them mixed up. Did you ever meet uh, a comedian that you really liked and admired, and either like, oh, this guy's horrible, or or the opposite? Like, what's mm-hmm. a, like? I, I don't want to meet my heroes, right? Because I, I don't met. Wanna... I met Doug Stanhope on a couple occasions and uh, he's been really cool. Every time, every time I met him, uh, the yeah. first time I met him, I was the first two times I met him. I was able to interact with him a little bit more uh, than the next couple of times. It's not like he remembered me between interactions, uh, but yeah. um, he was really cool to meet uh, Nick DiPaolo. I've met. He was really cool to meet um, Greg Giraldo passed away uh, David Tell, I've met, but like really didn't interact with him at all. Like, yeah. you know, just kind of been in the same room with him. Uh, Louie came out to Skankfest and same thing was in the same room with him, but never like I don't even think I shook his hand or had a meaningful conversation. Uh, I don't think I've met anyone. Firstly, I give a lot of people a lot of space. It's like, you know, you weren't yeah. expecting to like I once met. Uh, and at the time I was more of a fan of him, but I once met. Uh, um. Who's the other guy from the Adam Carolla? And he was standing outside yep. of the Beacon Theater, right. and he wasn't like actively a dick, but like he was clearly distracted and uninterested in talking to me. But like I don't give him like he was about to do a show. Right. I think he stepped outside of the theater for a minute, uh, and I know with myself like sometimes like you know you're just you're running around or you like you just got off stage and like you're actually took a flight six a.m. That you know what I mean? You can't yeah, always yeah. be as present as you'd like to be. Uh, so I, I haven't been I haven't had anyone be like specifically shitty to me that I was a fan of. I've had people kind of be, you know, spazzed or uninterested, but I don't like I don't I don't like look at them as being a dick for that. Yeah. So do comedians uh, when they talk amongst themselves, are they talking about kind of the the woke stuff? Like, it seems to me like a real it just comedian. Depends. It just like, depends. Yeah. Like sometimes you're hanging out in a green room. Everyone's looking at their phone. Right. Uh, other times they're hanging out. Everyone's cool and fun. Uh, you know, it's it's like any other party that you showed up to. Yeah. Sometimes you don't get along with the people. Other times it's a blast. Everyone's ripping inappropriate jokes. So, yeah. you know, there, there's no there's no one there's no one singular rule for it. Yeah. Um, let's uh, it's getting late and I can tell that either you're getting tired or, or, or I don't know if you like, I don't know what's in that cup you got going there, but uh, I've been, I've been podcasting straight <laughs> since, uh, since 8 PM. So yeah, I've been you're getting a little punchy. I've been literally sitting in this exact chair from, uh, from eight to 1140. We're also, you said 45 or at 54. Yeah, but I know. I'm, I, yeah, I'm good for one more question. 
Okay, well, just uh, we've all been looking forward to Reno for two years now. I know since the Orlando convention, I've been like, you know, counting down every single week. And the Mesa, we've done everything I think we can do. We're so close and I'm excited. Like, w- w- how are you feeling? Uh, what are you going to do out in Reno uh, besides hit? Uh, are bar- brothels legal in uh, Reno? I think so. I, don't I know think, you'll be. I don't- I don't, I'm not going to actually hit any brothels. And okay. I'll be honest here. They're all outside the city. They're expensive. And the women aren't even better looking than like who I'd hang out. And like, and then you just feel gross. You're like, it's like, it's one thing if like you're hammered and like, you're just like, it's funny. Cause it's down the street yeah. and you were in Reno once in your life. But yeah. like, I mean, I was cracking jokes about that on the podcast. It's not happening. Um, yeah. Well, you've I've obviously actually, thought about it and researched it, which is, yeah. So, you know, I'm a, I'm a lonely man. I'm home <laughs> alone and I, you know, I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm curious. Dude, I'm a big fan of adventures. And like, if you're in, like, dude, I don't eat cheese. I don't eat cheese. I got a bad stomach. If I'm in Italy, I'm eating pizza. Are you kidding me? Right, right. Uh, you think I'm going to go all the way out to Italy and not eat some pizza and right. deal with the fact that I'm probably going to throw up because I haven't eaten cheese in three years? So, you go to a town. And they got something that's legal that's illegal everywhere else. There's something hilarious about getting hammered and being right. like, okay, I feel worse about myself and I probably have an STD. That's a funny experience. <laughs> um, but after having looked it up, it's like it doesn't, it just, it does, it actually, and I'm a germaphobe. I talk a big game. Yeah. I'm a germaphobe. So it really doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't appeal to me. I'm going to be getting in early because I'm actually flying. This was funny. I'm going out to California to do a show. And then I booked flight. I was like, why would I fly all the way back to the East Coast to then fly to? I was like, this makes no sense. And then I was like, the hotel rooms are cheaper than the flight. Like, what am I doing? So yeah. I think I'm getting into Reno on Wednesday. Thursday is going to be a busy day because I have to actually set up the showroom and we're doing uh, three shows. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm pretty good, though, at sitting in a hotel room and just getting work done and hitting up the gym. Yep. Uh, I'm hoping that uh, some of the Meekaw crew is going to be coming in early. So maybe I'll hang out with those guys. I'm excited to go to whatever the party is Friday night. Yep. Uh, I'm excited to witness firsthand some of the momentum of the movement. Yep. And uh, it's actually nice for me to be able to show up to these places, sit back and be a fan. And, you know, I'm not I'm not organizing it. I'm not speaking it. I'm doing comedy on Thursday. So I'm curious to actually sit back and kind of observe and hopefully get sucked up in the momentum have you ever uh been to like a libertarian like a state convention or anything like that yeah no i've done uh i think i've 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 hosted two of them and they were they were those were a blast right because sometimes Uh, sometimes libertarian events especially when it's like the whole movement like sometimes you're in like a room or a situation where it feels like the bar scene from the first star wars movie right right? you're just like who are these people right uh and half of them are cool and half of them are just like uh, i was at the convention here in tennessee uh, uh back in march scott horton was here um and there was a guy walking around with like a tactical vest on and he had like a katana, right? Like a sword. It was just like walking around. And like, at first I, like, I was like, do, do we know who this guy is? Because like, I, I mean, it seems I'm sure, well, I'm sure half the people there were strapped anyway. It's, right. First of all, it's Tennessee. And right. Second of all, it's a libertarian. So I wasn't like super worried, but I was just like, what is with this? So it, you'll, you know, keep your eyes open. You're going to see some. I've done these. There's there. uh, uh, I find everyone's nice people. Yeah, I haven't dealt with too many like, but uh, 
it, some people lean a little more autistic. Some people lean yeah. a little bit more cool. That's the way it goes. Yeah. Well, I'm uh, I'm actually getting out there on Wednesday morning too. So I'll buy you lunch or a drink. Hell yeah, or, let's do it, man. Uh, whatever. But like, dude, I really appreciate it. I know it's late, and uh, I look forward to those episodes of POTP. So typically, you guys record like a couple days before they come out, right? Um, I think t- it depends. I mean, like, ideally, we're as close to public. Well, usually we record, like, day of or the day before it goes live on Mm. Gas Digital. And so sometimes, I think ideally, we're, like, we're recording the day it's going live on Gas Digital so that it's out live the next day. Okay. Uh, But for all the years that we've done it, I guess we don't quite have a perfect system. So, And And it certainly is a shame when... By the time it comes out, the news has already changed, which yeah, happens sometimes. It does. So uh, all the tickets are sold out for the Reno shows on Thursday, um, right? No, the Late Show still has, uh, I, I think, I'm going to get, I eyeball Late Show 50 tickets left. I would eyeball. Okay. Uh, okay. but we sold out, we sold out the first two and uh, I was able to work out the chair negotiations. So oh, you added a third one. Yeah. Yeah. We're doing uh first show stand up, second show live podcast third show stand-up so there's oh, three great. shows now and the late show which will go from about 11 to 1 uh there's still some tickets available uh, and if you live out in california i'm doing summer porch tour by brian mcwilliams from uh lines of liberty i'm gonna be doing stand-up he's doing stand-up and then i got uh my friend steven we're gonna be doing a live podcast he's been my resource for everything corona related uh okay. he's a brilliant non-scientist who has a really good handle does his homework uh and be on the lookout because I'm doing a lot of summer porch tour dates. Uh, check out the Run Your Mouth podcast. I, I do, uh, yep. you know, news breakdowns and sh- and stuff. Yep. Uh, and I think that's all I got to plug. All Reno, right, I'm party. Yeah, I'll put the links on the show notes page, decentralizedrevolution.com slash 77. And uh, yeah, I appreciate it. Uh, you kind of came through for me on short notice today. And uh, it's a pleasure to meet you. Oh, what one last question. Like, sure. Did you did you call your did you? uh self-coronate uh as a uh, king of the cocks or did dave call where did that come from so i uh, i mean we're, we're going way back down the the archives here but right. it came from i uh, i mean this is how bad of a libertarian i am at the time <laughs> i was not even familiar with uh ludwig von mises right uh and so dave said i guess it was mike heiss's thing but he said that we were starting the uh the mises caucus and so I said, that's the worst name I ever heard. Right. He said, well, yeah. it's for me. I was like, well, it's terrible. There's nothing marketable about there. I was like, yeah, you know what? I was like, let's call it the meat cocks. And you know what? I'll be the king of the cocks. Right. And uh, luckily, people embraced me as their leader. They were yeah. uh, accepting of my terms that I would lead the caucus. And so that that's where it came from. Well, we're, we're glad to have you on board. And uh, yeah, you guys kill it on POTP. And uh, it's uh, uh, yeah, uh, I, I, lunch is on me when we're out there. And, Hell yeah, uh, man. Let's do I, it. I appreciate it. I'm going to take you to the bank. Hotel Casino Buffet. <laughs> okay, man. All right. Thanks, Rob. All right. Later, dude. Yeah.